Hey everyone, welcome to LettermanRow.com. I am Jeremy Birmingham. That is Spencer Holbrook. This is Talking Stuff, the Ohio State Recruiting Podcast brought to you by Buyers Automotive. If you're looking for an auto, go to Buyers Auto. If you're looking for stuff about Ohio State football recruiting, then go to here, because that's what we're talking about, Spencer. Stuff. Uh, it's been, um, you know, a, a interesting couple days on the recruiting trail. Uh, the Buckeyes have uh, lost a few kids that people were thinking that they were, you know, going to be in on. They've added their commitment. They, I was on the road seeing a couple of, of their most important uh, recruits in 2022. So a lot of different little moving parts happening. We'll just start with Keon Grays, the addition that Ohio State made over the weekend, the wide receiver from Arizona, four-star uh, prospect who has really rapidly uh, moved up the rankings in the last year. Uh, some of that you have to imagine it's just because he got the Ohio State offer in October and then all of a sudden the Oregon USC's of the world everyone else is coming in and so now you start to see that he's no longer under the radar um, Spencer as you watch Keon uh, highlights you know just getting to see his countenance a little bit and the way that he handles himself I know the natural comparison is Chris Olave do you have any other thoughts any other things that kind of popped into your head I think he's really smooth. I know that you've seen him in person run some routes. I just think he's he's very uh, almost methodical in the way he runs routes. It, it looks smooth. It looks uh, it looks pretty natural for him to be in the route running process. And I think that's something that Brian Hartline looks at like very closely because if you think about the receivers that Brian Hartline's been able to have, and if you look at Brian Hartline in general, they all have one thing in common. They're all really good route runners, and I think that's what you're getting in Keon Gray's. I think he just looks natural when he when he's about to get the football and then he gets the football and he's explosive when he gets it. So I think it's the exact kind of guy that Ohio state needs in the wide receiver room. And also, you know, you got to remember Ohio state targeted Keon Grace when he was a low rated three-star guy, maybe a top 1000 prospect. And now he's made this, this massive rise. And I think he's probably going to end up in the top 100, maybe even top 50 players in the country. So I think uh, it's just, it's a great pickup for Ohio state. I, I, I don't really have any, uh, any other thoughts other than this is just a, I, I think that it's an A-plus pickup. Yeah, and Ohio State has really turned up the heat in Arizona in the last handful of recruiting cycles. And, it, you know, again, not to beat a dead horse, we've talked about this a number of times. They, they find areas of the country where the schools that are residing there don't necessarily move the dial and, and they move in. Uh, Chandler High School out there is one of the state's best. It is a program that regularly creates uh, Division One players. For me, as I got to you know, see Keon in person two weekends ago in Phoenix and then running into him at Ohio Stadium this past weekend to do the Bermanology commitment edition. Um, and then I'm going to see him again this coming weekend in New, in New Orleans for the battle seven on seven down there. I was just surprised at how much bigger he was than like, it, you know, you see someone listed at 6'1", 170 in their recruiting profile and you think he's going to be kind of slight, but it, Again, I, I'm six foot tall-ish, six foot and a half, and he is almost two inches taller than me. So I think he's a little bit bigger than the profiles are listing, and maybe that's because we haven't had official combines and that kind of stuff yet uh, to get those updated. But, it, you know, the Buckeyes receiving core is designed to do one thing, that's to be efficient. And so you see him and you, you'll, you'll see that it looks like he's almost effortless in the way that he's moving. And that's by design. Ohio State and Brian Hartline really, obviously, they care about top end speed. They care about finding guys that are as fast as possible. But what Brian Hartline preaches is efficient speed. And so that means, uh, are you running a route at your fastest? Are you able to break at your fastest? Are you, you know, because if you are running a four, three in a straight line, 
but when you make when you make a cut, you're running, you know, you have to stop and turn and, and you're not doing it efficiently, then it doesn't matter how fast you are because guys can catch up. So I think with Keon, you see a really natural player. And as you said, I think that's the thing about him that stands out is that it very, very much looks like he's not trying hard. And to me, that's always an indicator of, of a kid that is just a natural at what he's doing because it, it he is separating. He is getting himself open, but it doesn't look like he is. And that's, I think, where the Olave comparisons come in because somehow he's always open. Um, yeah. And that, that's what you like about him. Yeah, I, like I said, I think he just he just looks so natural, and I like the I like the word you use, effortless. I think I think that's a great word to, to use for him, um, and he's a great kid. You know, we, we could talk about that all day because uh, we talk about it with every Ohio State commit, and it seems like we again beat a dead horse with that. But but when you talk to him and you get to know a little bit of you talk to his family and his parents, like he just is the kind of guy also that Ohio State wants in the program. It's not one of these wide receiver divas. It's not a guy that's going to cause any trouble. It's going to he's going to come in and work. And, and I think yeah. that's what the Buckeyes look for. And that's what they're getting. It's actually becoming somewhat self-fulfilling for Ohio state because the kids in the classes that, that they've brought in in the last handful of years, they're the ones recruiting the other kids because they're recruiting kids that are like them. They're recruiting those self-starter kids that, that are hardworking, but you know, very humble, very um, passionate about the sport and, and, and very interested in being a good person away from the game and not just using the game, um, to get themselves rich. I mean, these are kids that really like football, but they also have other interests and in they're, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's again, as you said, we could talk about that all day long. I could talk about that all day long. It's just the change in the culture at Ohio state in the last decade is incredible. And um, when you see kids like Keon Gray's, and if you go back, I recommend people go watch the Bermanology interview. You can just see it. The kid is just happy to be getting the opportunity he's getting. And, uh, you know, he, he's just a super, you know, super addition for Ohio State and for a lot of reasons. So uh, that's the commitment that happened Sunday morning to add to the Buckeyes um, 2022 recruiting class, commitment number 11. Later in the day, Ohio State lost out on Will Johnson to Michigan, as we talked about here last week. Uh, it was just destined to happen. I mean, the, the, fact, the fact is that I don't want to say this because I know how it sounds, but it was a layup for Michigan from the start and it should have never have been a, any, any sort of situation where they had to play defense. And they did, but again, kudos to Jim Harbaugh. They bring in five-star cornerback, Will Johnson, but Ohio state at corner, which Jaheim Singletary with Jair Brown, they're okay. And so they're going to continue to, to search for um, another corner or two in this class. And I think that there are a number of guys around the country that could be in that conversation um, it starts pretty much um, with, you know, guys we've already talked about, Toriano, Pride, and out of St. Louis is sort of the, the guy that's rising up the list. And I'll have some stuff on him um, on, on Letterman Row. On Wednesday, I just caught up with him a little bit over the week and, uh, you know, to figure out what he's thinking. So, um, anyway, they're going to be fine there. Will Harris – Will Johnson, sorry, Will Harris. Who's Will Harris? Will Harris played in the NFL. I think he was another corner, is though. Sounds like a punter. <laughs> but, Berm, other than, like, signing days where, you know, you win some, you lose some on signing day back when Urban Meyer was was closing deals and stuff, have you seen a, a one day that was more of, well, you win some, you lose some for Ohio State than, than this? I mean, it seemed like the excitement of getting another receiver and adding to zone six and Brian Hartline's yeah. incredible job recruiting, 
And then a few hours later, you turn around and you knew it was coming for Ohio State fans. They knew it was coming, but still to lose out on a five-star cornerback to Michigan. I understand the, the layup nature. And I think that's a great word to use for it because, you know, you don't really want to say it like that, but you've got to call a spade a spade. This was a layup for Michigan. So I just thought it was fascinating, the, the nature of it, it's just a great lesson of you win some, you lose some in recruiting, and that's just the way it goes. Yeah, and, and that's why, like, you look at a day like that and, and, and you look at the overall situation with, with Will Johnson and his recruitment. And what did we – did we create that ouch bro game or something a few months ago, the ouchie bro or mm-hmm. the, the, hurt, the hurt meter or whatever, the hurt C? I don't know what we called it. It didn't matter. I, like, losing Will Johnson is – I don't like to say the word losing because I don't think you can lose something you never really had. But Will Johnson was going to commit to Ohio State a month ago. Clearly, he wasn't going to stick with that. Um, So I think it's better that it never publicly happened because then, you know, maybe you run into a situation where it's more of a of an ouch, bro. You know, but this is this kid should be going to Michigan. It should have never been a a close situation. I think we actually played the ouch, bro game with. Will Johnson, if he would commit to Ohio State. Well, I mean, that would have been a, a five on the ouch bro meter. Right now, I'd call it a one just because Ohio State knew in the beginning, middle of January, or especially at the end of January, when Will decided to not publicly commit at that time, that this is what was going to happen. And so at that, that separation from Ohio State and Will Johnson began pretty quickly after that. Because once he decided against committing to Ohio State like he was going to do on January 31st, they sort of said, okay, we know where this is going and started to slowly back away. And that's why what you saw over the last couple weeks of February was USC and Michigan being talked about as the battle and Ohio State not. Because at that juncture, Ohio State had pretty much said, okay, we we know where this is going to go. And to their credit, Ohio State does not waste their time recruiting kids that they don't believe are going to end up at their school. Yeah. And Ohio state does a good job of also identifying the, the white flag and, you know, as a program as proud and as, as good and as culturally fantastic and all the hyperbole that you want to use about Ohio state, the program knows when to just wave the white flag on a recruitment. I think that's actually a credit to them because it it allows them to move on and, and, become better recruiters elsewhere of, of guys yeah. that are actually going to commit. And so I do think that, that it does make sense from an aspect of, okay, he didn't commit, wave the white flag. They, you know, somebody else gets him. That's fine. Move on to the next corner and make that the number one priority rather than splitting your time and, and splitting your priorities in half. I, I think that it's a good move and we see it more often than, than publicly is known, I think. Um, but that's just the way it is. I did have a question for you about this recruitment though, Berm. Michigan's put together this recruiting staff. It's not a football coaching staff. It's, it's a football recruiting staff because we don't – even Michigan, I don't know if they truly know what this recruiting staff is going to do on the field. If they're 6-6, six 7-5 and six, seven and five with this new staff, is this, an, is this a, a chance where Ohio State may kick the tires down the road again? Like I, I just – and I think that's a question that a lot of people are going to have if Michigan is bad. I would think that it'd be more likely that Will Johnson, if Jim Harbaugh were to be dispatched in November, uh, would end up at USC than Ohio State. I, I think the Buckeyes are content moving on. Um, I don't think that they feel and, – and from a 
from an overall standpoint, I mean, they obviously would have taken a commitment from Will Johnson. They like Will Johnson. They think that there's a, a high upside there. But I don't think that, like, what they've seen from him is so good that they felt like no matter what, no matter when. I mean, you know, there was obviously um, some built-in um, – you know, extra sticky points that you use to jab your, your rival. If you take, if you get that commitment when you do, but again, Michigan restructured Jim Harbaugh's deal in a way that if they aren't good this year, he is going to be fired. Like that is almost a certainty The the restructuring of the deal, the buyout is very low. Uh, it, it's, it's very important that Michigan go out and win football games this season. I mean, no doubt about it. Um, but again, I don't, I don't want to, bash them and say that they didn't do the right things because this staff that they brought in was designed to re-energize their program on the recruiting trail. And it's done that. Um, and, you know, kudos to them. But as we've seen in a number of programs around the country, the last few years, you have to still win football games. Otherwise things can change very quickly. If you like, and we'll keep pointing to Tennessee last year um, as the primary example of that, if you don't win games, uh, you're going to end up losing a lot of these kids down the road. Now, does that mean that you lose Will Johnson, a legacy from the, from your area? Maybe not. I mean, there are some kids that sh- will stay with your program no matter what and should. Um, but again, that speaks to how egregious it is that they almost lost him to Ohio State to begin with because there's no way in the world they should have ever been in that position. Uh, to me, that's the biggest indictment of the, uh, on Michigan in this entire process is that it was ever close that they were going to lose him. Um, you know, and, but kudos. Uh, again, I've said it last week. I'll say it again. It's a big win for them, especially from a perception standpoint nationally. It opens people's eyes and says, okay, well, maybe, maybe this is the staff that finally gets things right. Maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe. But we, we can't tell that till November. And, um, you know, you're going to see a buzz. They're going to see kids like Dylan Tatum from West Bloomfield, who Ohio State was recruiting a little bit. Um, he'll commit to Michigan soon, and people will trumpet that as another win over Ohio State, but that's inaccurate. The Buckeyes haven't really recruited Tatum much. He told me that he hasn't really heard from him since the beginning of January. Um, but clearly, they're not all in in that recruitment. You'll see linebacker Josh Burnham up there um, from Traverse City, who's probably going to end up, you know, committing soon. And he'll be deciding, I think, between Michigan and Notre Dame pretty much. And you'll see a little surge in the state of, of guys saying, hey, this is what we're going to do, and just like we've seen at Texas. Uh, but how much does that really matter to Ohio State? I just feel like at some point there's this desire from every program in the country. And I even saw it last week, Spencer, uh, a linebacker in North Carolina, Malachi, Malachi, Malachi Hambrick, who committed to North Carolina and like the, the local newspapers in North Carolina are trumpeting it as North Carolina beats Ohio state for linebacker Malachi Hambrick. And I guess he had an Ohio state offer, but again, that doesn't mean that Ohio state was actively aggressively recruiting him. And I, I know that when you are one of these middle tier programs trying to promote yourself, you're saying any, any win over Ohio state, you're going to, make it a thing. That's why the Buckeyes are oftentimes a hat on a table when they're not even recruiting a kid because the programs that they're recruiting against or that are recruiting against them need that PR win. Yeah. Is that something that happens way too often? You think where, where there are, 
are these smaller programs, even like with Alabama and you're starting to see it with Clemson, like Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state are in everybody's top five. And sometimes they're in the top five with Tennessee and Arkansas. And then Arkansas gets the recruit. And then it's like, Oh, that's a recruiting win over Ohio state, Alabama, Clemson. Uh, that's really good for that program. Is that, is that something that just happens you think a little too often? It does, it does, but it's also kind of wishful thinking on a lot of these kids parts, if that makes sense. I mean, and I'm this is a terrible example because he has like 60 offers, but on Saturday, Keontae Goodwin put out his top 13, uh, the offensive lineman from Louisville, who's, you know, a, a very high regarded Ohio state prospect. He put out his top 13 schools and Clemson was on the list. Right. But Clemson hadn't offered yet. And then they did two hours later. So a lot of times it's just about saying, hey, I'm very interested in your program. Please pay attention to me. And now that may be requited. You may end up getting the offer and the interest that you're seeking. And a guy like Keontae Goodwin certainly will always. But for a guy like Malachi Hambrick, for example, I know that Ohio State offered him and I know he liked the conversations he had with Al Washington. But it was not a situation where with three linebackers that Ohio State was really pushing for Hambrick to join the class. But it looks like a big win for North Carolina over Ohio State when, quite frankly, it wasn't a fight. He'd never been to Ohio State. They've never really pushed for him. And, you know, then on the flip side of that, you have like Jalen Walker, who announced on Monday that he's making his college decision on March 28th. That's when Ohio State has been trying very hard to get involved in, um, you know, and you have Clemson, North Carolina, Alabama, Georgia in, involved in the mix there. Ohio State will probably not be the choice. Clemson, he's been to three times, four times, five times over the last couple of years. And um, I think Clemson will be the choice. But that's one where you could maybe more realistically say Clemson beat Ohio State. Um, it may not have been a fair fight because of the dead period and the things that have prevented people from doing. But, you know, that's maybe more realistic. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of nuance in this 2022 cycle without the uh, without the visits. You just get, you know, the communication is all a little bit more known uh, now that there's no, you know, they, they can't have them on campus. So you don't really know exactly who they're recruiting, but when the guys say who they're talking to, it seems like you're getting a little bit more into that communication layer than you would with a normal time, I guess. So maybe this is a, a little bit of a positive in a sense. We're getting another layer peeled back in these recruitments. Yeah, but you also end up having more conversations that are on the periphery and more conversations that are just superficial because what else do you have to do? You know, I mean, mm -hmm. here we are. It's March. Ohio State hasn't started spring practice yet. It isn't going to start for another two weeks. These coaches have more time than ever to just sit around and have a three-minute conversation with someone. And because of the nature of internet recruiting right now, like, hey, you heard from Ohio State lately? Oh, yeah, their coach hit me up all the time. But, like, Maybe it's like a, hey, man, how you doing? Things going okay? How's your offseason? It's good, coach. Oh, Hall State hits me up all the time. Like, that's it, – it's it's very uh, – I don't want to say disingenuous, but it's hard to differentiate between what's aggressive recruitment and what is, hey, we're interested in you. If this dead period ever ends, you should come visit. You know, yeah. there, there is a difference. There, there is a major difference right now. And Ohio State only has a handful of guys on their list that are players with 11 commitments that they would say, yes, you are absolutely someone we would take a commitment from right now. They don't want to fill up with too many more guys. Um, two of those guys that are on that list, we uh, actually have had on our show the list uh, in the last two weeks. And that's Keontae Goodwin and Caden Curry. I 
saw both of those kids last Thursday uh, in person. And I'll tell you what, Spencer, again, just impressive people. Yeah, that's what that's what I've heard. And, and Keontae Goodwin is uh, if he's as if he's half in, as impressive of a person as he is as a specimen on the football field, then he's got to be a good person because he is absolutely massive. He's a a people mover uh, in, in every sense of the word. And I think Caden Curry can be the same way. I, like I said on the list on the show, I don't think Caden Curry is a generational player, but they are both players that Ohio State will gladly accept into yeah. this class right now if they wanted to. It's another one of those weird situations. So seeing being with standing next to Caden, like I didn't feel like he was that much bigger than me as a human. But then I watched the video of me sitting there talking to him and I realized that I was being dwarfed by the kid. So he, <laughs> he just was a lot bigger um, than I would have anticipated. And the, the underlying thing here, and I got a bigger, a big, like, too long of a story on Keon to the good one coming later this week on Letterman Row is that both of these kids were very adamant that they are not making any decisions until the dead period ends. And that is, that puts Ohio State in such a weird spot because the Buckeyes are probably like the leader for both of them. But there's so much time now between here in June or here in July or here in September, whenever this dead period actually ends for anything else to happen. And that's why I think it's bad. Like, you know, I, we, we've talked about this and every school in the country is affected by the dead period. But I think that programs in the Midwest are probably hurt by it more. Does that, I know it sounds like, a, um, you know, being a big 10 homer or whatever, but these schools, Ohio state has been aggressively recruiting Caden Curry for a year and he's never been on campus. He's never seen, you know, he, he didn't get a chance to just go to a football game. You look at like Zach Rice, the number one ranked offensive tackle in the country out of Virginia. He likes North Carolina. He saw them play three times this past year. Saw them play three times. He went to their stadium and, three times and watched them play. And I was about to say that uh, the, the Midwest schools, and I don't want to say like, I don't want to pit these schools against each other on who took the virus more seriously. I think that's very stupid. I think anybody who does that needs to get a life. I mean, I'm just going to be honest there. But at the same time, like some of these schools were letting thousands upon thousands of people into their stadium for game day atmospheres. And, and some of those people who got into the stadium somehow and, and found tickets from the secondary market or however they found their tickets, they were in the stadium to watch games as if they were on a visit. The only thing they couldn't do was go in the locker room after the game. Yeah, and like so Jalen Walker, Jalen Walker was able to go to Charlotte to watch Clemson play Notre Dame in the ACC championship game as a fan. And here we are, Ohio state is trying to figure out if it's going to allow fans or not at the spring game. And one of the primary reasons that I think that they might not want to is because they are afraid that recruits will come in on their own. And, and they're trying to avoid that, uh, that perception of them, you know, being uh, rule breakers or whatever. So it's just this weird thing where the schools in the Midwest, they, they have just been sort of put behind the Big 12 allowed fans, the ACC allowed fans, the SEC allowed fans. Pac-12 doesn't care about football anyway, so who cares what, what they do? Um, you know, but it, it, it's a really bizarre situation. And uh, I think Ohio State, more than any, like, you know, these kids in the Midwest, because they haven't – they didn't go to visit Alabama or Clemson like the kids in the Southeast did during this past season. So these kids are still saying, hey, I need to wait. I need to wait. 
So the kids that are in the Southeast who visited Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, et cetera, are saying now, hey, I'm ready to commit. I've, I've seen a couple of the places that I, I like. Why wait? And in the Midwest, it's the exact opposite. If I didn't see anywhere, I have to wait. And so there's this growing gap, I think, between what, you know, what type of kid is saying, hey, I'm ready to go. And we talk about the, the quality of the character of the young men in Ohio State's recruiting. Part of that character is the ability to make difficult decisions and to hold themselves off from making emotional decisions based on things like the dead period. Does that make sense? Am I just rambling? No, you're fine. You're fine. Am I, crazy? I, think, I think it all makes sense. And I think it's, it's a problem and it would be a lot better if the NCAA was maybe 25% competent in, in its ability to govern over these, uh, these schools and, and these rules. Uh, but the, you know, the NCAA, I could say many, many words that would have to be edited out of this podcast about the NCAA. Beep, beep. Uh, yeah. So I just, you know, we'll leave it at that. I, I just think that, like you said, the Midwest is at a disadvantage. Some of these guys, um, Ohio State fans should want them to wait and want them to make sure that they are they want to be part of the Ohio State program because you don't want to lose part of your culture based on, you know, we just got to take these guys now. I think this is a smart move by Ohio State to, to, to be pumping the brakes, and it's a smart move by the kids to be pumping the brakes as well. Now, I will say if the NCAA inexplicably doesn't erase the dead period on, March, on May 31st, I mean, it's going to be absolute open season. Uh, because, you know, Alabama's already said they're having full capacity. They said yesterday yeah. they're having full capacity in the fall when they have no clue how this entire world is going to shake out until the fall. And so you just don't know what's going to happen, but you do know that the schools in the South are going to continue to have guys on campus and the schools in the Midwest just aren't. Yeah, and, and that's just where we're at. I mean, another reason why the NCAA is so desperately in need of a true governing body and a, and a central figure to be a commissioner over the entire sport so uh, or the entire organization football commissioner they need one Very but all of these schools pay thousands maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars to a director of player personnel and who just runs the recruiting department mm-hmm. how does the ncaa not have a director of recruiting personnel like how somebody who has been there like I'm not saying they go higher, but like, like the Mark Pantone of the NCAA would go a long way in helping the NCAA make these decisions. Somebody who's been there and done that and understands actually what it's like to, to be a recruiter and to be trying to run a program when you don't have anybody on campus and don't have the ability to even recruit, basically. How does the NCAA not have one of those guys? It, it well, blows my mind. Yeah, it, it, it should blow your mind, but you know, it's a reminder that the NCAA is actually comprised of the schools themselves. Uh, the schools are the, the members of the NCAA, so it's not like it's some autonomous body that is not related. I mean, this, this, these are the schools. And a lot of schools, believe it or not, don't want more oversight because at this point, if no one cares, is it cheating? No. You know it's I mean? like when all, so, the, when all the people were laid off and, and so all the compliance people were laid off, so nobody was following compliance rules. Right. So is it cheating if no one cares? And that's, I think, the question a lot of people, is it a loophole if no one's paying attention to it? Like at this point, these a lot of schools around the country don't particularly want more oversight because they'd rather just continue to do whatever they're you know, doing in order to make sure that they get what they want. And, um, you know, I think for the overall betterment of the game, that could be a whole different conversation and a much larger one. But 
there has to be rules and there has to be someone in charge of, of making sure that it's a level playing field across the, um, the country, not necessarily a level playing field as far, you know, some teams are always going to maybe be better, but at least that everyone is playing by the same set of rules and that everyone is given the same opportunity um, when it comes to hosting kids, when it comes to camps, when it comes to, you know, whatever, whatever. So, I mean, I mean, here we are, it's, it's March. And Ohio state is already, you know, preparing. And most of the big 10 is they're, they're pretty sure they're not going to have recruiting camps in June. Like number one, why? I mean, what logical reason is there not to, Um, but because the NCAA doesn't allow invitation only camps, you can't just tell 15, 20 kids, Hey, we want to see you guys come to campus because then you're keeping other kids away. But at the same time, the NCAA is saying there's going to, you know, the big 10 or whatever is going to say, you can only have X amount of players on campus. So you can't run a camp because you're going to have too many people there. Like it's just, it's this lack of flexibility and this lack of ability to say, Hey, uh, we should change this this year because it's different. There is no reason that Ohio state, Michigan, Michigan state, Penn state, anyone, every school around the country shouldn't be able to say, we're going to have, five camps in June of 150 people each, and they're only going to be invitation only. I mean, you, you should just kind of know your, your spot in, in the big picture of this uh, recruiting game, I guess, and, and recruit and offer and invite the kids that you think are your level. And, you know, it's so frustrating and, and it's not even, you know, we try to talk about more things than just Ohio state. And I know the show's running long, but it's not even, it's not even just for Ohio state here because like, like I went to a Mac school. And so when I was at these camps a couple summers ago, you see Frank Solich at Ohio and Sean Lewis at Kent state and Chuck Martin at Miami, all walking around at Ohio state's camp. And the guys that Ohio state doesn't like and Illinois and Penn state and Michigan and Michigan state doesn't like that's at that camp. Those Mac schools are going to go to those guys and say, Hey, you can play in the Mac. And then they get guys based on that. So it's a trickle down effect for everything. And the NCAA is so incompetent and it's so damn frustrating to watch the NCAA stumble over their own feet, I guess. Well, with all of this, the frustration I think that everyone has is that the NCAA lives by this motto of trying to do the right thing for the student athlete. And in this instance, they are clearly failing and preventing a lot of kids from having uh, opportunities that they would uh, have had in any other time in history. And I, I, I get it. I know we're still in, in this pandemic, but um, it's clear that this, the science pretty, uh, you know, strongly says that that group of kids is not at risk. Um, and if, if they want to, if Ohio state says we can host 200 people four times in a two week stretch, I, I don't see how they, how it wouldn't be doable, but whatever, that's not my business. I, I'm not uh, in charge of that. So uh, Spencer, I think we're good. Anything else on your mind? Any more stuff you want to talk about? No, we can, we can talk about more stuff later. We can talk about more stuff later. This has been talking stuff, as we just said, brought to you by Byers Automotive. I am Jeremy Birmingham. That is Spencer Holbrook. We appreciate you watching. Please rate, review, subscribe, uh, leave, you know, comments and be nice. I guess just, why not just be nice, you know, as people in general? Okay, bye.